Greatness requires self-improvement and a whole lot of striving. Welcome, my Mere Modelites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Models podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information to perhaps extract some themes you might not have got at and to also know more about some of the greatest men in history. Indeed, we do have Benjamin Franklin's The Autobiography and Other Writings. So this book was originally published in 1791, I believe after his death, and it's about 280 pages in length, took me about six hours to get through in total. And in particular, it's Benjamin's reflections on his life, duh, but some notable letters, publications, and writings that he has done in other areas of his life. So as a standard biography, autobiography, it goes over his childhood, about the time period that he lived in, about notable events of things that were happening, of his life in Philadelphia and then moving over to England and then going back and forth between America and England. It's not particularly standard as he does skip some what you would call major events. He doesn't particularly talk much about the independence of America and, and, and whatnot. So I'd say it's focused mostly on this kind of middle period of his life, probably from the ages of roughly 15 through to 50, something like that. What you'll find a lot in is him talking about his various professions as a, a publisher and of his science, of his philosophy, of his um, notable interactions that he's had with other people, of funny everyday events, of war and of money making. He talks a lot about his ventures and his kind of entrepreneurial type of spirit. The book is roughly two thirds of the, his autobiography and this is split into four parts, although parts two and four are, are very minor. And then the rest is a lot of his letters. And these are things like the silence do good letters uh, about his kite experiment, the way to wealth of a letter to Joseph Priestley, a petition of the left hand. Some of this is satire. Some of these are funny things. Some of these are personal correspondences. So there is a whole lot of bunch wrapped up in, the, in a relatively small packaging. Now, this book in particular and Benjamin Franklin, well, I don't think I need to say much about him, but he was one of the, the founding fathers of America. So he was born in that 1700s period and lived until the late 1700s. And this was before America was America itself. And so it was still under the rule of England. And he was a, uh, you know, a citizen of, of this country, but it was still very much tied closely with England. And this in particular is a bullseye book. And in particular, it was published by Alfred A. Knopf. And that's important because this autobiography is, is rather disjointed in many ways. It was originally published in French, retranslated back into English. So it didn't even use the original English text. And it had this back and forth things. The part four was missed out in some places. This obviously has a bunch of his other writings, which perhaps earlier editions of the autobiography wouldn't have. So it's very, very back and forth, very sporadic and much like his writings of this because he wasn't writing this in one stretch. He, he did this over certain time periods separated by decades, I believe. So yeah, it's a, it's a little bit mismapped, uh, mishapped and, and that's okay because that provides some insights. It's almost too readable as well. Considering this was written 300 years ago, you know, roughly like that, I'm surprised by how easy it is to read this. There are some little things such as many of the nouns are capitalized. So it's not just the start of the sentence, but things like power, good, affairs, clubs, member, 
all of those sorts of things are capitalized, but it is really, really easy to understand, which is surprising because I've read other books of this sort of nature and they've been they've been very hard looking at you, Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations. So let's jump into the first theme that I've took out from this. And this is a polymath, a person of wide knowledge and learning. That is the definition of this. So if you don't know much about Benjamin Franklin, well, why are we talking about him? Why is he notable? What did he do? Well, goddamn, this guy did a lot. So he created a stove, a very efficient stove called the Franklin stove at the time for heating up houses. So he, he was an inventor. He created the bifocal lens of glasses. This is being able to see and then to be able to read in the bottom part of the glasses. He invented the bloody lightning rod and he was very critical in, in learning more about electricity and how electricity was very similar to lightning in many ways. He was one of the first people to chart the Gulf Stream and he was an ambassador, a governor, a postmaster, uh, a publisher. He had many, many different roles in his lifetime and this is where we can see this polymath nature. He knew a whole lot of different things and it was on such varying topics. He'd be good at finance, but then he would you know, talk about chess and then he would talk about religion in this certain way and in ways that made sense, but also his philosophy. And he really just was a guy who you get the feeling he didn't talk about, he didn't talk much shit. <laughs> he usually thought about most of the things he was saying. Now, was he brilliant? I suppose is a question because a polymath, you typically get this idea of, man, he must be just a genius. He must be so smart. Now, the IQ measurement was invented after he was alive. So there's no point even talking about that. Uh, one of the things I did notice was he did seem to be a, a kind of a big fish in a small town in many places. When he moved to Philadelphia, there was maybe 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 people there uh, as, a, as a teen. And so even though there's these stories of him you know, becoming well-known and, you know, meeting the governor when he was only in his teens or, you know, early 20s, you know, it's, it's kind of not that hard. If you're, if you're a, a small, uh, in a small town like that, you kind of can meet the governor pretty easily. So there was nothing in this which really stood out to me as him being that, you know, IQ 200 level or something like that, because he's also very relatable. He can express himself through the methods of this book. And then also just in his dealings with people, he did seem to be a relatable person who you could talk to. That's typically non-standard of people with such large IQs because they, they struggle to communicate to the everyday man and perhaps even people who are the idiots or the non-everyday men even below them, that sort of thing. What, what stands out instead is his work ethic. And I'm going to jump now onto page 72. And this is in the time of his life where he'd gone to England, he'd just come back and he knew a bit about the printing presses and things like that. And he was really getting his own for the first time. So we jumped here. Uh, I, ben, I began now to gradually pay off the debt I was under for the printing house. In order to secure my credit and character as a tradesman, I took care not only to be in reality indus industrious and frugal, but to avoid all appearances of the contrary. I dressed plainly. Uh, I was seen at no places of idle diversion. I never went out of fishing or shooting. A book, indeed, sometimes debauched me from my work, but that was my that was seldom snug and gave no scandal. And to show that I was not above my business, I sometimes brought home the paper I purchased at the stores through the streets on a wheelbarrow, thus being esteemed an industrious, thriving young man and paying duly for what I bought. 
The merchants who imported stationery solicited my custom. Others proposed supplying me with books and I went on swimmingly. And then he talks about how in comparison, some of these other people who were uh, more established, but less keen, who were uh, a little bit late in paying their dues and things like that, they, they started to non thrive and he thrived himself. So this is really what stands out. And in particular, he, he didn't really seem to be a polymath in the terms of he would, you know, discover eight different things, which is typically what I think of when I think of a polymath, a, a more of a, an intellectual, I would say he was more of a poly doer. He was a poly solver. So he just constantly seemed to be doing things. And this was especially notable in groups. So he started up a subscription library. He started up a fire service. Um, he was very, very influential in terms of laws and fundraising and making sure that money was being directed towards the light, right places, even if it wasn't all of his money at stake, even though at times he would put his own skin in the game and he would front up huge sums of money, um, as such as when he was helping supply uh, the British army when they were there. He, he did all of these things. And I think that's really what stands out to me. And when I talked about that stuff at the start, the efficient stove, the bifocals, lightning rod, charting the Gulf Stream, all of these things were things that he actually did. It wasn't just him thinking about it. And that's one of the, I suppose, the critical points I, I kind of take from him in this. He does seem to be a guy who didn't think too much, too much, too much. So he would think, and this is a key, a key aspect. He was a doer. But he wasn't just an unthinking doer. He would spend some time and be like, okay, if I'm going to do uh, an experiment of some sort, I'm going to spend a little bit of time preparing it, but not too much. He wouldn't get stuck up in his own head and things like that. So this jumps off into, I suppose, the next point, which is greatness. How, where, where does this come from? And I believe it comes from internal striving. So one of the things that you'll hear about him is like, he's a great man. He is one of the kind of like great men of history. And... What I think this comes down to is intent plus the outcome. So I believe a great a character allowed him to do all of the above that I was just speaking about. His schmoozing with these, you know, kings and uh, his getting to these high levels of politics of being the postmaster of the US, of, you know, being there when the founding fathers were writing the, the constitution, of, of being able to, you know, edit part of it. He, he you know, was literally editing portions of, of the constitution. All of this, I think, comes down to him striving internally to be a better person. And he talks about this moral perfection that he, he tries to get to. He was practical and results-based. And this is what I think stands out for him. It, it wasn't just, you know, that intent is all that matters. Oh, I try to be a good person and... All of these bad things happen to people because I, I didn't think it through clearly. No, 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 none of that bullshit. He was definitely, I'm going to try and be a, a good person and I'm going to hold myself accountable to all of these things that I'm doing, but I'm also going to be very focused on the outcome. I'm going to make sure that money is going to the right places. I'm going to make sure that people are, uh, are fed. I'm going to make sure that I am actually doing stuff that is of value and not just spinning wheels and talking blah, 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 and sitting on my laurels and being a rent seeker. No, he was, he was in the game. So there was two aspects, I think, that really showed how he was striving to improve himself. The first one is the junto, or perhaps it is better pronounced the junto, because in junto in Spanish means together. And so I'm going to jump onto page 64, and this is where he talks about 
how he was still a relatively young man and he was trying to improve himself. So uh, I should have mentioned before that in the autumn of the preceding year, I'd formed most of my ingenious acquaintances into a club for mutual improvement, which we called the, the Junto. We met on Friday evenings. The rules I drew up required that every member in his turn should produce one or more queries on any point of morals, politics, or natural philosophy to be discussed by the company and once in three months to produce and read an essay of his own writing on any subject he pleased. Our debates were to be under the direction of a president and to be conducted in the sincere spirit of inquiry after truth without fondness for dispute or desire of victory and to prevent warmth and all expressions of positiveness in opinion or of direct contradiction were after some time made contraband and prohibited under small pecuniary penalties. So he gets together a group of his friends of these people who are striving to be better as, as well and then they come up with this striving after the truth. You know, they talk about morals. They talk about uh, any subject of their, of their choice, but they need to be passionate about it and, and not argue dismissively just for the sake of arguing, nor to be full of praise and only saying good things about what a person is saying. So it's that kind of nice balance of, of using other people to improve yourself by analyzing by critiquing by looking at them and hence you become a better person because you become better at expressing yourself and and knowing what things will respond with other people and what things are maybe too hurtful so he has this uh you know he actively made his style of of communicating with others more effective for example he talks about how when he was first learning up he he originally was very argumentative of of very you know, uh, that kind of Nietzschean idea of philosophizing with a hammer, beating down his opponents and proving them wrong and, and whatnot. He changed this eventually to a more Socratic style, which is, as we've seen in these book reviews before, this questioning always why. Oh, why is that? Why would you say that thing? Hmm, what does that lead to? Why Why would this, uh, why would this particular... Uh, law be better for people oh but why why wouldn't it do have these outcomes and why would you not change it if this was blah 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 blah. so he, he does all of these things and we we also read later in the book how he talks about how he met some other politicians who when they were going to america to be an ambassador and whatnot he was like look you're very good at this argumentative style but it's not effective what you want is the goodwill of the people and sometimes this requires uh you know, hedging. Sometimes this requires not being absolutely strident in what you want and using your power to get what you want. And it sometimes requires being passive and and uh, being acceptive and trying to communicate more effectively. So I think that was one aspect of how he was improving himself as in himself with other people, how he is viewed in, in the type of group type setting in his relations. And then the other one is this moral perfection I was talking about earlier. And this is in part two, which is a relatively small section. And you'll find that on page 91 through 97, roughly. And this is where he was talking about this project of, of improving himself. And so he comes up with all of these virtues that he is trying to improve. And this requires a lot of strong introspection because it's, it's very personal, all of these things. So uh, the virtues he comes up with are temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, tranquility, chastity, and humility. And then he has a sentence beneath each of these of what he wants to do. So, for example, for tranquility, he wants to be not disturbed at trifles or at accidents common or unavoidable. 
when he's talking about temperance, eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. So that's to watch his eating, not to become gluttonous and not to drink to oblivion and, and um, for, the, for the fun of it. I've talked a lot about this in a Mere Mortals episode, uh, number 375 in particular. So I would uh, recommend checking that out because Juan and I go over all of these things and, and how perhaps this can be applied to everyday life. So I won't get too much into that. Uh, but there's definitely this core importance. I think this is one of the, the strongest things you can take from this book is how do you become a great man? Well, you improve yourself. And how do you improve yourself? Well, you look internally and you come up with events and you hold yourself accountable and you really investigate and dig deeper and you try your, your hardest, your darndest to become a great person. So, you know, one of the things I suppose that really jumps out as well is was he an exceptionally great man? Was he IQ 250? Was he, you know, just making all of the right steps at the right time, meeting the right people? Was it luck? Was it, you know, what is it that contributed to this greatness? And I finally think that it might not even be that he was exceptionally great. He was just not bad. He was just not a bad guy. And so whenever he was uh, interacting with other people, he was kind to them. He was, well, at least would try to be kind to them. And you can see as he, as he goes through the book and he starts gaining more and more accolades and he starts gaining more responsibility and he starts gaining more power, this in, in particular being very important because he literally could print the money. Um, he was the, the guy who printed the money. He could just steal from that if he wanted. He was in so many groups and knew so many people that if he wanted to, he could force things through or tell people even just by his words, oh, you know, contribute to this project and they would do that. But I don't think he abused it. And I think that's, that's kind of what stands out for this. He talks about many other people who he's interacting with and many of them seem like great people, but you can also just see how they kind of lose focus on, on perhaps how they got there, on why they got there, or you know, if they were just born into it, like many kings and like many uh, wealthy families are. You, you see, okay, they, they make these decisions for personal vanity or for personal enrichment or because they haven't put in the work and they're lazy or all of these different things. And this is almost why he stands out. He stands out because he just did his job. He, he just didn't fall into temptation. He just worked on his character so that when he was in these positions of power where he could easily drink to excess, where he could easily get what he wanted by you know throwing his words around uh, or his weight around or his money around, he didn't do that. And this is why I think he, he stands out as a great man. Yes, he was the polymath. Yes, he definitely had a very, uh, you know, a, a, a peculiar mind, which was fascinated by all these things. But he worked fucking hard. He worked really hard. At least that's the impression that I'm getting from this, which is getting into my own observations and takeaways. What I like about him is he's very open about his erratum, as he calls them. So about open about his mistakes. And he has several great mistakes that he's made in his life. One was lending money, which wasn't his when he was very young to a friend. Once again, this is getting into that idea of maybe his intent was good, but the outcome sure wasn't. His friend was just spending this money and now he owed this to another person. And this debt was hanging over him for many a year in his early years until he could finally pay it off. He was uh, somewhat distracted by women. And so even though he met his future wife in, in America, uh, when he went to England, he barely bothered to even correspond with her. I think he sent one letter is what he said. 
And this is where he talks about how he was distracted by plays and ideas and other people and fun. And, and he was still, I suppose, not getting too lost. So he still didn't drink to excess and he still only, you know, had moderate water and, and food and whatnot. But you can see he lost his way a little bit. And so many other things, he was very argumentative. When he, he didn't come out from the womb as this shining jewel, unblemished and whatnot. No, he was very rough and it needed cutting at the edges. It needed polishing. It needed hard work to end up becoming what you would say is a great man. And, you know, even... He himself would probably say that in his later years, he still wasn't a good person. He still was striving to be better than he than he was. So that's one of the nice things you see about this. It isn't all vainglorious and talking about himself, even though it's an autobiography. So he is going to do that, of course. The other one is his time is our time. So all of these stories that he gives are so relatable. The people in them, when he's talking about this Oxford scholar who throws it all away or who you know is bored by... His, his learning and whatnot is like, fuck it, I'm going to go to America. When he talks about this miserly gentleman who is so always talking negative about the future and, you know, house prices are going to go down and this is because the money is being distorted and this is because blah, blah, blah. And because the young people, they have no, no character and whatnot. And then he ends up having to buy a house 10 times the price of what he could have because he was so miserly and whatnot. All of these characters, you're just like, damn, that's a real person. I've met someone like him. I've met, I've met that person. And so even though he lived in this time where, sure, there were some crazy things like when he was uh, becoming indentured to his brother to, be a, um, to learn the printing press and things like that, it was from age of 12 to 21, bloody nine years, that you were indentured where you kind of couldn't break this thing without breaking the law. You know that's that's pretty crazy. I don't I don't think we have uh, have have things like that nowadays. Uh, at least that not for for people who are just so young from from twelve years old and whatnot. But we can see okay, sure there was some things going for him. It was an amazing time in life, and he lived to a relatively old age, eighty nine in those times, or, or into his eighties. Sure, he 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 got born in a lucky period where fucking America was being founded that that there were so many opportunities back then and whatnot but i think i think there's still space and space and options available for for people nowadays so if you do want to become great like benjamin franklin maybe you won't get this mm, as much recognition as he is just because there's so many more people to so to become the cream of the crop uh as randy savage uh, would say or macho man randy savage it you know that that would maybe be more difficult nowadays because there's so many people, but you can still become a great person. And a lot of the keys of, of, of how you can do that is, is contained within here. So in summary, sure, it's self-aggrandizing, but I think it shows who he was. It shows that he was a rascal. He was funny. He was kind. He was industrious. He was entrepreneurial. And ultimately, he was a man. He made his mistakes like all of us. And he was very open about them, or at least as open as you can be. And I think for an autobiography, it it tended to me, it didn't seem to be like he was just talking about himself and highlighting all of his good points. I think it probably was a relatively good reflection of his life. So what he achieved was amazing, but what was more amazing was how he did it, how he became the person that could achieve all of those things. And that I find much more impressive. 
in terms of top 10 people I wish I could could meet, have a beer with or chat with, he he's right up in that in that list and uh, you know, I he's someone I think you I want to emulate. I don't know if you want to, but I want to emulate him because one of his main goals was be, to become a better person and I think he did that and he also showed how you can do that as a ordinary pleb, as an ordinary mere mortal as you as you might hear. So, um I think it's hard to look elsewhere to to find this kind of self-development of this, you know, polymath greatness. How how can you become up to that level? Um, it's by hard work and by striving. And I think that's what you can take away from this. So I'm going to give Benjamin Franklin's The Autobiography and Other Writings a very solid 8 out of 10. Uh, I would I would highly recommend it. And if you enjoy the Mere Mortals podcast, if you enjoy me and and kind of how I think, I think you'll enjoy this book as well. And that is it for today, my mere mortalites. Thank you for joining me to the end of this book review. What are your thoughts on Benjamin Franklin on his autobiography? Is it a good reflection of him? Was he a great person? How did he strive? Do you think this is all true? I would love to know all of these things. The best way of doing that is via a boostergram. So if you are in a new podcast app, go to newpodcastapps.com or podcastapps.com. You can get a much more enhanced experience where it'll have links to some of the things I'm talking about of chapter images when I go through this of chapters so you can skip forward and backwards to points that you might enjoy. And you can also leave a comment directly within the app itself. So this would be something like Podverse or Fountain or Curacaster, Castomatic. All of these are Breeze. All of these are good options. And what you are doing when you do that is uh, sending me a message directly that'll come to me because I have the system set in place to, to do that. And it also has a small portion of Bitcoin attached to it, uh, some Satoshis, if you will. So they are a portion of Bitcoin. And in most of these apps, you can kind of get it within the actual app itself. You can buy it there. And this is a way of showing your appreciation of supporting me, supporting the podcast. I put a lot of time and effort into creating these. And all I ask is that you send some value back. And you can do that via many ways. You can do it by leaving a message which will appear within the app and comes directly to me and, and you know help support the show at the same time. You could also do this by uh, reviewing it on Apple iTunes if you want to, uh, by sharing it with a friend. That's always great. I really recommend that one because it does help the show gain a bit more exposure. And you could also recommend other books to me. I leave a bunch of links down below. So if you want to get small snippets of, of this creation of what I've been doing, of, of knowing about other books that I'm reading. It's on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube shorts. Um, we have the, the meermortalspodcast.com's website as well. All of this is available for you. So I would just highly recommend getting in touch. The podcasting can be a lonely journey on my on my striving for greatness. And so it is very much uh, appreciated if you, if you leave some, uh, some sort of interaction with me because it does make me know that all of this is not just going out into the void that I am providing some value back. So I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world and that you are striving, improving yourself as well. And I'll catch you the next time. Ciao for now. Kyron out.